sound People say a man is made out of mud A poor man's made out of muscle and blood Muscle and blood and skin and bones A mind that's weak and a back that's strong You load 16 tons What do you get? Another day older and deeper in debt St. Peter, don't you call me cause I can't go Welcome everybody to the Literal Fiction Book Club, where we read books so you don't have to. My name is Sam Johnson, and joining me today is... Alex. And Troy. Um, Today we are reading What is the Third Estate by Abbe Siez. And um, to kick things off, you had a question for all of us? (laughs) I did, yes. No, don't even, don't even. (laughs) Just just keep going, just keep going. No, no, no. To kick things off, Troy, you had a question for us? So if we're going to have an entrepreneurial pursuit what would it be what would your grand scheme be alex you you wanted to be a male hooker right that's your he 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 no i had one we had one once remember which one it was like a good version of goodreads i'm do you remember having this conversation yeah yeah, yeah. better reads i already forgot what the idea was (laughs) (laughs) better be just an absolute dig yeah i mean goodreads we've talked about this before but it's the worst app of all time recurring target of our of our anger. But it kind of is the only service that does the thing I want it to do. Yes. Oh, we're a, combo, a book reads combo that really like does a good job at generating what you should read next. Yeah, it does the predictive stuff. That'd be fun. Like Pandora. Or that would be really cool. Yeah. It's a pretty complicated data thing to manage in terms of like relating books to each other. Um, but if you did have the information, it would be good. I wonder if the Library of Congress would be able to give that to you free of charge maybe probably not but like with the more users you they get probably then you wouldn't could aggregate it better which yeah are... i mean well so like in goodreads you can create books which is like a good thing and a bad thing right so like users can contribute to your knowledge of data but they also pollute it um so if you used like a official source like the library of congress you'd have a more uh data set with more integrity oh totally i mean i fa- I, fa- I noticed that just this week going down through uh trying to pick books for our next a unit going through like the southern gothic uh there's a couple lists and stuff and it was very redundant because there'd be like three or four versions of different books like within the top 20 oh yeah for sure it was it was frustrating so your idea sam was what was it it was data something okay yeah <laughs> i'm i'm All not tech those, savvy yeah well so my general idea is um i've been thinking about how you can monetize media um without using um the like you know normal advertising of like audible and like whatever the five dollar shave club those kinds of things um patreon or um youtube ad revenue and uh so my general idea is um i was looking into subscription boxes and um because how those work is they get a bulk of a bunch of products and then package it together and send it out there is often a very high profit margin to each subscription box which makes them a lucrative target for affiliated marketing because they would want more volume um, and are willing to give up a share of that profit margin. So my general idea is to construct a set of quizzes based around certain product topics and then um, use that as a way to generate funding for our podcast, my YouTube channel, and then maybe even just like if the dollars and cents work out, use things like Instagram or Facebook advertising to advertise the quiz and then um, have people take it and then they, you know, get matched with a certain kind of subscription box and then they can click through and you get money per person. This sale. one actually sounds kind of feasible. Yeah. If somebody hasn't thought of this already and the person who thinks of it listens to our podcast and then runs with the idea, I'm not it's not the end of the world. Your respect to them, go for it, Cambodia. Yeah, I mean like go for it. I'm not if I make this thing it's gonna be in a public repo somewhere on GitHub, so um also if you do do it, probably make it in Ruby on Rails because it's really fast to make your web app. So Why don't you just coach uh, the random stranger to do this thing? Well, I'm just saying somebody's got to do it. Just like, you know, I'm going to like part of my business plan would be to approach other YouTube content creators or podcasters and have them say, go to this and then split the affiliated marketing fee if I can get the margin high enough because the more volume there is the less amount of money i need to make per um per click and in fact if i use the no so if you did so if i if i approached like let's just say let's just say i was able to get uh pewdiepie right to use this thing right and he said and i'm just 
What? Definitely, definitely who we want on our side. I actually like Creepy Pies. Whatever, cool. dude. He has a shit ton of <laughs> only subscribers. Seen one of his videos. <laughs> I don't care. It doesn't matter. A lot of people watch him, but the main thing is that if uh, if a bunch of people click through on that, and he was said, okay, we'll split the you know affiliated marketing revenue fifty fifty. Then that works for me, right? Like it's uh however many people click through, um, which is pretty good. And like server cost is pretty low with that because in like the quiz situation, unless I make the logic of that very complicated, um, it'll be all of the code will run very quickly. Um, and so it'll take a long time um, before you will need to like upgrade your infrastructure to handle certain like server loads. I'm a software engineer. Nobody really cares, but no, it's interesting to me. I mean, it's way over my head, but it's interesting. I mean, if it works out, that'd be sweet. Also crossover episodes, always fan favorites. Like, in addition to just, like, hey, check this out if we, like, I don't know, Skyped in. They do that. Like, different YouTube channels. Yeah, absolutely. Um, We could also, if you want to make, we can have, like, software engineering as one of our um, segments for a book group. And we can all read textbooks on software. That sounds fun, right? That would definitely shoot up our numbers. Something will get shot up. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it'll be, like, um, things like... uh, confident ruby you know where the guy uh i think his like intro analogy is like comparing ruby to um painting and um you know how uh you know it's like one of those like lame craftsman analogies he's not a good writer is my main point but code's cool i actually do think code is cool it's like carpentry it's like assembling something yeah i mean it's pretty interesting work that's why i do it and why it's the only job i've been able to be happy at for like a while now yeah, you gotta um, be stimulated at your job yeah i can't be bored yeah i love i love to be stimulated all the time uh but it's you know like the main issue with it is that there are certain like core principles that you can apply to everything but um technologies move so fast that it's really hard for people to stay on the cutting edge like i'm finding that in my current job search that because the startup i work for is four years old it's using technologies that are four years ago and they're not really relevant to the job market right now so i have to convince prospective employers that i actually can learn the things they want me to learn not that i already know them uh which is like a different kind of ask you know for a job Mm. what's your um entrepreneurial is it a is it a weed dispo no no it is not a weed dispo although although low-key if that were to happen at my entrepreneurial event, I would okay it and skim off the top. Well, no, no, not a weed disco. A weed, like, <laughs> dispensary. Yeah, dispo, which is not the idea. The idea would be to have kind of, uh, not pop-up concerts, but like a traveling thing where it's silent concerts, if you've ever gone to those. Oh, I've heard those are really fun. They are really fun. I've been to a couple. And then you have like three or four different stations and everybody can just jam out and dance, but it's like really quiet, so there's no noise pollution and then you don't get in trouble and the cleanup's actually pretty easy and you just like id and make sure that you have all of your inventory really well managed so if you lose anything like it's there and then you can have uh i don't know like a techno station a punk rock metal station uh just four unique stations so that everybody could be into it and then yeah if there was a weed dispensary slash bar slash just whatever libations that would definitely increase the fun fentanyl bar <laughs> that does remind me alex of our um our a uh our gym our gym bar laundromat yeah so i was gonna get to that i think probably the idea i've been talking about for a long time is having well it started as just a gym laundromat so you can you know do your laundry while you work out but uh add a bar to it now you're talking yeah you're talking big money but yeah i think that's uh you know, if any of us ever get rich, I think um, even if it's a losing money venture, we should open a uh, a gym bar laundromat. I mean, those are the. Well, I don't go to the laundromat, but you know. But we could open up a gym that doesn't have any of the like complicated machines, right? So it's just racks and benches, and um, you know, like maybe maybe certain things like the back extension um, bench and that oh, kind of yeah. stuff. Got but, it. You can't have a gym without that. But if you don't. If you don't get all of the like, you know, the you know whatever chest press machines and like fly machines and those kinds of stuff, then you're probably not in it that much, especially if you go used. Dude, 
if you want to buy bumper plates, your mind will be blown by how expensive that shit is. Yeah, well, my experience is that if you want to, if you want to get them used, they're essentially free, right? Not bumpers, really. Even used bumpers are expensive because I've been looking into it because I want to get some. Huh? That shit is so pricey. Because when I looked at dumbbells before, right, like they're super expensive new, but it, like people who move out of their houses do not want to carry those fucking things. Oh, for sure. Like ev- almost every guy's got like dumbbells in his house. But it's just bumper. It's bumper plates that are expensive. Also, having been a mover, like goddamn you, people that do decide to take your weights with you. Like, huh. there's no convenient way to pack them. There's no way to put them in the truck. They roll around in the truck and fuck everything up. And then when you get to the house, you literally have to pick up weights and put them in somebody's basement or attic. I can't wait to be that guy someday. Also, you know he never uses them. Never. Yeah, it's all like dusty. Wait. So bumper plates um, is like. Does that also include just regular plates? No, like the the kinds you can like drop from overhead. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. But like regular plates you can get cheap, right? I don't know. I think maybe steel plates go for like 75 cents a pound or something, which adds up. Yeah, that Used, does. I mean, like cuz like if you want to get a, a set of like rogue plates, I mean, just for your home gym, you're looking at like $1,500. Man, I can't wait till I'm rich. Same. I mean, I'm going to have the sickest home gym. I, I, within the year, I think I'm going to be buying a, a squat stand in a, in a bar. Do you want to see if we can get, like, a nice, like, maybe um, climate-controlled storage area somewhere in between us and then, like, go halvesies on it? Honestly, maybe. At the amount I'm paying? I'm just saying, like, I think we could make it happen and then we would have a place to go no matter what, you know? That would be nice. My gym has a sauna, which is the primary reason I go to it, so hmm. I'm going to be out on this one, boys. All right. Well, we can make it really hot in there if you want. Yeah, there you go. Nice and steamy, yeah. But I, I do really look forward to having a home gym. Just so I can, like, drill snatches without be- making a fool of myself in public. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, also, getting those... I really, really want to get a pair of those, uh, like, Russian dolly-type um, dumbbells. The ones that you... there. It's a bunch of different sets you can take out the weight you want. Oh, yeah, those are cool. Yeah, they're, like... Four hundred dollars? No shit. Are they They're that really expensive? expensive, but it is significantly better than getting a set of dumbbells. Yeah, that's I think true. of the storage space. Yeah, that's a good and they point. go up to like either ninety or a hundred, so you're unlikely to max yeah. out on them. No, not for not for a while. Not for a while. Um, okay, so um, in the same way, <laughs> I can't segue from that. Speaking uh, of maxing out, yeah. Speaking uh, of maxing out, ABC has maxed out on the French Revolution. It said at the beginning that you're like at the very beginning that he played an important role in Napoleon's coup. That is true. What was that role? I have no idea what this is. Um, so if you remember from Carlisle, right, uh, the Abbe Siez, he mentions him a few times. And um, uh, I believe that he was one of Napoleon's ministers. And so when he, mm. he when Napoleon was crowned emperor, basically this Abbe Siez's point of view was that and this isn't entirely untrue, is that Napoleon represented, um, like, the last refuge of the revolution, and uh, the, um, what are they called? What was the Thermidor Rebellion? The, the... The Coup of Brumaire? Um, no, but what were they called when they established themselves? It was, like, the registry or something The like directory. That. Directory, right. Um, so the directory was the counter-revolution, right, and the Abbe Siez was one of the ministers that, uh, you know, was, uh, who helped Napoleon come to power, and um, he actually wrote another constitution that was never put into effect for France. Tragic. There's actually been a recent Jacobin article, I don't know if I've mentioned on the podcast, about um, why the Abbe Siez is shitty because he was racist, and uh, it had to do with, I mean, don't get me wrong, the Abbe Siez definitely went off his rocker in his later years, but his he made an argument that was saying that... Um, you know, because during the French Revolution is still like um, Britain's going through the early phases of its Industrial Revolution, and um, some of those effects are seen in France. So a lot of Enlightenment thinkers were thinking about, you know, how can we deal with the social problems of the Industrial Revolution? And um, one of the ways that the Abbe Siez suggested was to um, crossbreed, uh, I believe, Africans and monkeys and um, create a slave race to uh, do all of the menial work. To, to free um, the rest of uh, 
the population. For real, man, we should have read that pamphlet. That sounds way more wild than this one. I mean, this one's pretty wild, but that one sounds bonkers. Go ahead. What's your What's your take, Alex? I, I got I got nothing insightful to say about that one. Man. Okay. Well, I mean, and it's a fair point. Obviously, that's not like a a very uh, palatable point of view, but at the same time, right? Like, and you'll see from our discussion on what is the third estate. Um, you know, people are complicated, and they uh, and occasionally we just got to make thrall colonies. You know, that's all. But um, I think even that was particularly insane for his time period, right? So, I mean. In the Abbasia's time, right, like this is the early burgeoning period of race science and um, also of concepts of evolution. I believe Darwin comes later, but like a general idea of the progression of man from other biological entities had occurred. And so you could theoretically understand that like maybe there is a hierarchy of humanity, right? And obviously from a European's point of view, um, in the same way that Africans thought of this when they first saw Europeans. Somehow, your civilization is the one on top, right? Like you're the you're the best, and so y- you are the goal that every b- other race of people is looking towards. So I don't think that that part is um the you know uh is the anachronistic bit. Um, it does seem to me that sort of in the same way that Jefferson looked at the farmer. Right as like what he wanted the future of America to be, uh, the Abbe Siez looks at um, the current constitution of society and the way to solve it by um, by pushing out certain people from being allowed as citizens as humans and therefore as citizens, um, which is backwards, right? Because uh, we are looking for. Not only like the liberation of all mankind, but hopefully like the balance between mankind and the rest of the biosphere. Mm. I think before like mass technology and media, your world was your little town or your area or everyone you knew spoke French. So when you're talking about the rights of man, you're talking about the rights of white Frenchmen. Like nobody imagined that it would be like the international at this point. Well, I mean, I I would say I wouldn't say no one. I would say the Abbey CS that's true, is that's true. very, you know, he's international, right? And like, you know, like obviously, we got got in Carlisle all kinds of international um like uh, delegations to the French Revolutionary uh government and I think that, you know, like Thomas Paine, right? Like he clearly he was he's emphatic in the rights of man that what he is looking for um is a uh, a pan republic of europe right like a set of republics that govern europe that are not warlike um and that can sort of advance the human species beyond and he's he's not dismissive of the rest of the world because it's not europe or because he's white he's um saying that like europe represents you know the future of modernity and um, we need to take advantage of that by um setting ourselves up for uh like a peaceful success and I don't, you know, I think that like the, you know, whatever, the sanculots or the people in the village, yes, those are their concerns, but these more enlightened thinkers, that's not. And he was right. At least that like, yeah, in, in like the industrialized society was the future of the human race. That was the direction that, that history is progressing. He's totally yeah, right. Europe led the way for that. Europe yeah. and the United States. Absolutely. So there's no I argument mean, against that. For good or ill, right? Like that's the way it played out. I'm pro Thomas Paine. I like Tom Paine. He's a badass. I haven't read any Thomas Paine. He, the list. like, if I could think of a man who, in his writing, sucked the dick of the American Republic, it would be Thomas Paine. He's, like, such a fanboy to the point of, like, almost cringiness, but um, he's very, very earnest about it, which is, like, nice. Can you imagine how exciting it would be to live during the early days of that, though? Dude, it's, um, I forget, um... Do you guys know what uh, pamphlet the These Are the Times that Try Men's Souls? No. Is it uh is is it common sense? I don't think it is though. I think it's part of common sense or it's like attached to I just have like a like classic library edition mm. and it has like all of his pamphlets included with common sense, so I don't know. I vaguely remember, I'm not sure where it comes from, but like when I read that for the first time, I was like uh in when that came out during the American Revolution, it was like during an ebb in the it was when George Washington was like running away and you know, everybody was worried about the uh the Revolutionary War being lost. 
And so Thomas Paine writes this beautiful, like, you know, galvanizing pamphlet. Um, and it actually worked, right? So not only were soldiers and citizens of uh, the new American Republic, you know, galvanized from this, but even like people in power in Congress were, you know, they kind of got their will to fight again. And uh, yeah, if Thomas Paine only did that, I, I would be thankful to him. I mean, speaking of men of letters, like this pamphlet also super energized everybody and getting elected. And it's also just like teeming with the cult of Rousseau and like the will of the people, which is never really oh, defined, yeah. but we'll get to that. Well, I mean, uh, well, let's just dig into that since that's a, uh, I think that's a fruitful point of conversation. So I actually do think um, uh, Avaciaz is, is, clear about what the people is in the same way Rousseau is. So, um, you know, he's what he means by the people are the individuals who um, who constitute the the law of society, right, who are contributing to the social order. And in this case, it's organized by nation state. Right. So you wouldn't say that a resident of France is constituting the law of Germany, at least not directly. Right. Um, And so when you know, and this is his main criticism against the aristocracy and the clergy is that they are usurpers of the law, right? They have these privileges and uh, these uh, um, abilities to skirt what is the general will of society, as he understands it. And as you said, Brett, it's like the ABCS is a Rousseauian, like completely. I think that he's right in terms of what he, how he breaks society apart in terms of like the orders and their usefulness or uselessness. But in terms of the 25, 26 million people that make up the third estate, like they're obviously not of one mind. And then you see it in the revolution. Like they start turning on each other. It's like, I'm the will of the people. No, I'm the will of the people. Well, they're both in the third estate. So it gets bloody because it's just who can decide who is the people, who gets to control who the people are. But they're in the same material condition position you know what i mean in terms of their like place in society so i don't think that's necessarily true right so like uh abaciaz makes the distinction and he talks about the differences in the third estate like you have peasants and you have merchants and you have lawyers right you have all these different kinds of people Um, but what unites them is the fact that they are politically the same entity right so a lawyer is treated in the french regime the same way that uh, a peasant is and so what um sorry i lost my train of thought i think that he's very clear about like political power and that the third estate needs it or they should claim it and demand it but it's i agree that they're all of common cause that they're all suffering under tyranny and um like the law or the writs that would just be sent out and letters of cachet and everybody suffered under that but i'm talking about like what happens once they do get power because obviously the will of the people is not going to be the same because once you get power, then those other people are going to be the moneyed or inter- political interests. And then all of a sudden now are they against the will of the people because they now have power? And it's just whoever doesn't have it is going to use it as a weapon to get into power. So I, at least as far as Rousseau is concerned, and I'm just going to rely on that because um, the ABCS is sort of using Rousseau in a practical sense. The general will is not something that is it like the the cons- the government that is constituted is an expression of the general will, not the general will, right? So the general will is something that exists. It's this idea that uh, there is something that is uh, collectively uh, created in society that is not reducible to its individual parts. So right, so you couldn't say that the general will is every individual's will summed together. It is something else. It is a collective movement. And so that is expressed in these different governmental forms, as you see in the French Revolution. And um, and then it are periodically destroyed by, in some sense, right, the assertion of the general will. And I think that to say that, like, you can be the general will at one point, right, but then not the general will later. That's You're not forever a representation of the general will right but everybody claims they are like it becomes sure i'm yeah. sure when uh, uh danton and robespierre especially it's like oh we have to get rid of my i mean france's enemies that was mike duncan's line 
And it's stuck with me ever since. It's like, yeah, when you get into power, it's like, I am the people. And then you start like, you purge your enemies. It's like, oh, wait, maybe this isn't the will of the people anymore. And I have become the tyrant. Right. And I guess it really depends on where the people are. And obviously, you know, the French Revolution, it's hard to tell because it's so parasentric, right? So the people in that particular context generally means those in Paris. Um, so as I was saying, um, the paracentric nature of that makes it a not clear that what Ciez is pointing to as the 20 million or whatever uh, is the actual way that the French Revolution is mediated. But what he is calling for is the possibility of that, right, um, at the beginning of the revolution. This extraordinary convention of democratic representation. This is much more revolutionary than I remember. I haven't read this since high school, but I was like, oh, damn, this is a lot more inflammatory than I remember it being. Like, he is very pointed on both Rousseau's principles as well as, like, leaning towards the will of the people being the only power. I don't know if he expressly says that, but it's like they're the only legitimate power. Like, that's a pretty hot take when there's still letters of cachet out there. He's got a lot of good, um, or I guess we kind of started at the end with the bigger principles, but a lot of this is just like, the I can feel the rage more from this than I think anything else about the injustice of the system, just because he's educated and is able to, well, he was a clergy, so he has plenty of time to write. So when he lays it out, it's just like, ooh, he really lays into the nobility a couple times. It's like, he's got some really good zingers. I wish I new French so I could read it in the original. Yeah, I think that uh, his, you know, how he, Abbe Ciaz views himself as, as a servant of the people, right? So he even talks about how the the third estate is, he is trying to understand what its demands are, uh, its political demands, which he views as minimum. And uh, he sees the, rep- the people who ally themselves with the third estate from the second and first estate as like encouragers to the third estate's project, not as as members of the third estate, right? Because you could say that the Abbe Ciez is has privileges, right? He is not a member of the third estate. So he is trying to absolve himself of those sins by dissolving the three estates, the order of three estates. And I think even before he gets to the orders it's just the idea that there is two sets of legal systems is really a thorn in his side like it's the first couple of pages but he says the nobility however is also foreigner in our midst because of its civil and political prerogatives they are foreign to our nation first because they do not owe their powers to the people and then later he's talking about somebody who in the third estate has to rely on either the clergy or more likely the first estate just because the third estate's literally nothing. They're slaves at this point. He prostitutes his principles and his human dignity for the possibility of claiming in his desperate hour of need the protection of a somebody. Like how burning with rage would you feel if you need something and you basically just have to prostitute yourself to the richest person? So, I mean, it's not too far off from where we are today, but... Right, but like at least... No, I wouldn't even say at least, but I'm just the difference would be saying that like in civil and political rights, me you and Troy are of the same uh we have the same standing in court right we have the same rights whereas in Abbe Ciaz's point of view and this is something that a lot of the bourgeois revolutionaries get retroactively criticized on is that they don't understand class differences as if that was a clear thing to observe then you could say that there are differences between people in the third estate but how those differences manifested was not in the same way because they were politically the same entity. Yeah, and the, the Industrial Revolution was like just beginning to emerge. Right. But that, that brings it much more to the forefront. There's a completely different yeah, means of society. Like the ordering of the classes was completely different. Like the composition changes entirely, like you said, Alex, when people start to industrialize. It's kind of a ridiculous thing to accuse them of. Yeah, I mean, it. it's just... You know, I don't know. It's it's one of those things where if people in if people in modern times really think that if we if they time traveled back two hundred years and were born two hundred years ago that they wouldn't be the people they hate, right? Like they're wrong. Yeah, that's one of the weirdest things about 
There are very, very few people who actually rise to the level of your moral condemnation, right? So they'll normally turn to someone like John Brown. Uh, who... He's not cool anymore, though, I'm hearing. Really? He's Why? He's a fucking longsword. He's rad. No, I, he's white, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah of course. There's, I the Black saw... Panthers love him. Yeah, but I saw some article about how people like to uh, lionize him because he's a white man. Oh, for Christ's sake. You didn't see that? No, I didn't. Yeah, I mean, but I'm saying is that, like, is it, so if you look at, well, obviously the first place people look is for the people in the oppressed groups, right? So you'll normally look for, like, I don't know, Frederick Douglass or Booker T. Washington and say, okay, those are the good people and then the bad people are on the other side. Um, and then if you are looking for someone who, you know, is uh, a representation of your racial category, which is fucking stupid, then uh, you would go to someone like John Brown and say, okay, that that man saw the the sinfulness of slavery when other people didn't. But the chances of you being John Brown and having the, the more rigidity of that man are very, very fucking low. Yeah, n- pretty much none of these people talking online have the nuts to, like, either fight or die for what they believe in. To storm a federal arsenal. Yeah, that's not a, that's not a thing. It's it's not even fighting or dying. I mean, even just holding that opinion, right? Like, even, oh, right, of course. Even I, just diverging from the cultural norm, you know, living in a small place with not a lot of communication, you know, being raised in a, we could call it at this point, culturally, culturally backward environment, and not having those same opinions, right? Even if you thought they were wrong, you might still have negative connotations to, you know, to African-Americans, for instance, Uh a hundred percent. Do you think John Brown had like treated women perfectly? Definitely not. I it always makes me laugh to how people think that they are not of their time. Like I'm one hundred percent a product of my time. I think everybody is. Yes. Like if I was born two hundred years ago, like I probably would have been like, ooh, I don't know what to do about slavery. Like I see that they have the economic problem, blah blah blah. Because everybody's always like, oh, we have to listen to both sides. It was that way two hundred years ago too. It wasn't clear cut. Like. People had arguments back then, and it's like, oh, well, this is society. We can't change it. There's always, like, a refusal to want to change. That, like, weird idea that there's this, like, universal baseline of morality that extends through the centuries that we are now realizing in the 21st century that they did not realize in the 19th century is one of the funniest things that, like, people, you know, our our age do. Like, it's just, like, very, like, unaware, strange, like, extremely... Um, what's the opposite of cultural relativism? Culturally objective. Yeah, it's like it's like a culturally objective thing. Like it's like a we are the standard. Yeah, it's like an extremely Western focused America American centric like idea of what's right and wrong. If you ever want to shut down like a liberal who's really annoying, you just say, "Yeah, it's definitely a really American centric way to look at look at it." <laughs> Doesn't really matter what Got you're him. talking about, but it will just like end the conversation, and they don't know what to say. Yeah, and I do find that, like, the, so there's that moral retroactive argument, and you're saying that these people are bad because they believe things, but then you get, even if you were to believe those things, right, even if you did have these solid 21st century beliefs, there's the practical question, right? So you could say, in the Civil War, when people were talking about what to do about slavery, that is not a simple, pragmatic question to answer. So do you want to go to war with half of your union, right? This still somewhat young republic that is on its way to greatness, but not quite there. And with other European powers kind of chopping at the bit for what you have, or do you try to reconcile and let it die out? Are like those questions are actually real practical questions that need to be answered. And they won't be answered by whether the thing that is happening is good or bad in the same way that, Anything else bad that has happened during our lifetimes, you know, the Iraq War, the genocide in Yemen, uh, whatever, Darfur, right? Those have practical elements to it that need to be answered and aren't just answered by the fact that, oh, I wish that didn't happen. And that, like, taking position that it was a bad thing matters. Yeah, that you're a better person because you think something's bad. Congratulations. Stop Coney 2020 or 2012. Yes, get Coney. <laughs> that was great. That guy's meltdown was the highlight of that too. Yeah. Was he the guy who wa- was running naked around the around yeah. Hollywood? Yeah. Yeah. All right. 
So we actually kind of covered a couple of my first questions. Um, so one of the things that always interested me about this pamphlet was what do we think the IBCS is trying to understand the demands of the third estate? What do we think? How do we think he does? Like, how good of a job does he do at that? Because he is not a member of the third estate. He is trying to understand what the third estate wants. Do we think he is projecting things on the third estate, or do we think he's actually making what clear what third estate wants? I think he's definitely projecting a lot. Like you can tell how influenced he is by like his like Enlightenment thinker, uh, you know, people he respects. I don't think that like the the actual like third estate, like the people that comprise it, are thinking directly of of those issues as much as they're thinking of the fact that their like daily life is filled with struggle in like a material way like a practically material way people are eating grass and starving to death like i don't think he mentions that in this like it's not really his topic but obviously that's their number one priority is they're dying of starvation in droves but how they're trying to express that at least from the abbe's point of view is is how they're going to be represented in the estates general that's how they want to mediate this problem right he does address like feudalism and stuff, and he does talk about how like nobility is like the vestiges of it, right? So I mean that that does in a sense kind of address that like economic relationship between the nobility and the third estate or members of the third estate, like the peasantry. Well, I would just cut it across a different like swath of society, even these estates. Like he might be a clergyman, and then there might be uh, lawyers and other minor officials from the third estate. And then the lower nobles that are actually still, you know, doing actual work. I would say they're all part of like an intelligista that's kind of the same. They're all starting to read. They've all encountered the Enlightenment ideas. I would say they're more of a group than just, oh, you're in this set or that set. I mean, since there's legal differences, it's really easy to define them in those three ways. But I don't know. I think there's just so many more ways that we can cut society into different groups. And I would say the emergence of reading an illiterate public even if it's very tiny at this point is the group that he belongs to and the ones that are in the third estate like the lawyers and the educated people merchants he's like representing them but he's not representing don danton and the sans culottes but for the purpose of this pamphlet he is he is discussing a specific group of society that's not represented politically which is i think is is noble yeah which i think is noble that he would take it upon himself to represent the unrepresented, even if he's not in their quote-unquote group. But what I'm just saying is that it doesn't; it wouldn't make sense for him to really subdivide that category for the sake of this pamphlet, because the you know because he doesn't need to because this is about their representative government and their lack of at, you know proportional representation in comparison to that of the nobility. And thus far, I mean, I don't know if Cies would agree with this if pressed on but he doesn't see any member of the third estate as useless they all provide a social function and that's what his critique of the nobility and the clergy is is that they don't provide anything to the nation they are superfluous and in fact parasite which is you could pull that from carlisle too even though he would never say that but yeah just reading it it's obvious yeah and he he sees their parasiticalism as a a degeneration from decadence whereas this abbe Ciez sees it as just what they are which is right i think he's also just sitting and loathing the fact of the separate legal systems and how it's just like the image of tyranny like it is tyranny there is something specifically despicable about separate legal systems i mean you can look at apartheid too like that's like i don't know like as bad as it gets you're a citizen, but you're considered lower in the eyes of the state, especially when the idea of a state is that the state derives its power from its citizens, presumably. Yeah, well, right. That's a, Presumably. That's what Rousseau says, right? The, the feudalist point of view is that there's you know, a divine contract between the people and the king and the nobility. Those are just historical artifacts. But Rousseau's point would be that it's, the government is constituted by the general will of all the individuals that make up the body politic, whatever that is, which I agree with. Just ask a fascist. That's what we'll tell you the state is. Yeah. Do fascists fascists love Rousseau? I wouldn't be surprised. I have no idea. I've never seen a fascist talk about Rousseau, but I mean, the the conception is the same. Because, I mean, Rousseau is 
I've been finding that Rousseau is a lot more influential than I previously thought, not just in the sense of the French Revolution, but on philosophy that came after him and what people thought of politics post-Rousseau. I mean, that concept of the state driving its power from the citizens or the state being the, re- the reflection of the will of its citizenry is foundational to like most modern forms of government, at least in the way that we think of it. Not in the way that it actually is. Sure, Because yeah. it's ridiculous to say that about, like, our government. I think that's a great distinction, what it should be versus what it actually but is. But, like, what you but ask, like, the average Joe, like, you know, is that what our government is? They'd be like, yeah, of course. But it's not, unfortunately. We're run by parasites once again. We are absent. <laughs> yeah, nailed it. But, uh, yeah, dude, fucking back squatting day one, clean and jerking day two, front squatting day three. So. Three out of four days, I'm essentially squatting. That's fucking cool, dude. It's sick. I love it. You're going to have huge this. quads. I really like squatting. Squatting's I, I've fun. I've realized it's my favorite. Front squats are my favorite exercise to do. I think it's because of my it. calorie deficit, but I... The deficit, my but... Def- the, the deficit. Deficit. Uh, the last leg day I did two days ago was my worst leg day ever. It's fucking hard. I, like, I couldn't... I couldn't squat five for 275 anymore i went down to 255 and that was a that was a rough that's a lot of weight i mean it it is a lot of weight but like a week before then i was doing five by five at 275 not no problem but like definitely and i think it's just because i all of a sudden went from a calorie like equal to surplus to like a pretty hard deficit you might have just been tired too yeah that's true dude squats it's like the littlest thing can throw your whole session off oh yeah like, it's like, if you're in the zone, like, you're going to be squatting, like, your potential, like, you're going to feel great. But if I had, like, a bad night's sleep, I'm going to lose 10 pounds off my 5x5. Five five. It's yep. intense. It is pretty intense. Although I don't find the same result for my deadlifts. I can pretty much deadlift whatever I want, whenever I want. I would definitely agree with that. Hungover, walk in, just pull yeah, something heavy. doesn't matter. We went hungover and, well, I didn't make it, but I hit, like, 420 at the knees. Yep. When my previous deadlift PR was much below that. You hit 420? I uh, got it to the knees. Oh, right. Remember? I thought, weren't you struggling with 405, though? I thought that was... I pulled 405, and I didn't get a strong lockout on oh, it when right, I weighed right. 186. Yeah. I pulled 390 the other day with a really strong lockout. That's good. At 20 pounds less body weight, and it felt sick. So I think I could probably hit it now, but... I think I did, if I remember, I don't remember, but I have a cool app that keeps track of these things. Woo. I'm uh, I'm going to still do that program that you sent me, but I need more time because I'm fucking out of shape. Dude, so just, I'm slowly getting back there. But Just grind into it and like it'll be horrible, but it, it'll be worth it. As long as you eat a shitload of food and sleep eight hours a night, you'll survive it. The first two weeks will be savage but then the rest of the time you'll be like i'm in the zone now honestly first i gotta just cut because i woke up a couple days ago and i was like holy fuck when did i get this fat i was like yeah last two and a half months no that's just that's just material that's just material (laughs) for the muscle Uh, you know what i mean right you gotta grow the muscle from something dog but i just wanted to add i did 345 five by five for my deadlift hell yeah so much deadlift volume it was awesome (laughs) your nervous system's crazy it's pretty fucking cool. No rounding on the back either. That's what. It, that's that's right. Straight as a fucking arrow. No belts either. No belt. Important. Important to know. Yes. All right. Do we want to get back to the ABCs? So we had been talking about a couple of different ideas about how society should work versus how it actually does work, and then the different um, ways that we like cut up sections of society. Easiest way is the three states because the legal system, but also. Um, different forms of those that are literate versus not versus their profession and then also how everything is changing alex you had mentioned that it wasn't really the point of the pamphlet that he goes through and like delineates all this i agree i think that this is extremely well focused and also lengthwise it's long for a pamphlet at least compared to the other ones that i've read but it's not too long it's like just right like what was it 18 pages that's a great length all right, my last serious note for the pod is I put a special frowny face next to this. Is He says, uh, let's see here. But who will tell us what, for what purpose and in whose interest the Constitution could have been given to the nation itself? The nation is prior to everything. It is the source of everything. It wi- its will is always legal. Indeed, it is the law itself. 
And the next one I wrote, The Law of the Subject, Frowny Face. Can you expand on that? Like, what about that made you frown? Just the will of the nation eventually turning into guilty until proven innocent. Just like how bastardized right. the idea became makes me frown. Do you believe that that's an inevitable consequence of representative democracy? Well, it depends how representative we're talking. Like Truly. I mean, like, like truly, like a true democracy. Yes. I thought that was your answer. Yeah, I mean, I... I think that I think that Ciez is correct in saying that the nation is what constitutes the law, and insofar as the law of suspects, as at least in our experience of Carlisle, was not a representation of the general will. Um, it deviates from the nation, right? It becomes the nation becomes once again subjected to an outside power uh, because it doesn't want the law of suspects, but Robespierre does. So, as to my point before. The government is constituted by the general will. It does not, therefore, become the general will and can be abolished by the general will. I just think those people that do come into power always take that idea with them, and they just like beat that dead horse so hard to stay in power because it was popular when they were in the opposition, and they were shouting it in the streets, and everybody was rah-rah with them. But Right. I mean, I just think that maybe the rhetorical flourishes are almost... Um, they're overemphasized they're not as important because actually it's the fact that they keep making that statement over time that shows us that they cease to be represent representatives of the general will so we could say that the jacobins their even their terror at one point was a representation of the general will right is a revenge um what the people wanted right but we can't say that as the guillotines moved further 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 and further to the edges of paris and Robespierre loses his mind that Robespierre is still representing the general will, even though he is saying he is. And so that actually gives us kind of a decent barometer as to whether the current constituted authorities are representing the general will. But I always wonder at what point does it switch over? And like, if who is the one to call it out? Like, all right, you're no longer the you were yesterday, but no longer today. Like, no more Robespierre. Like, who decides that? Well, so it, I mean, I. I normally rely on Kant's refrain of the idea that a that if a revolution fails or like a rebellion fails, then they all deserve to be hung, right? But if it succeeds, then they can be constituted as the general will. So it's really about what happens. If it doesn't happen, then it's not part of the general will because the general will is not a it is a collective social force that is not controlled by any individuals. It's just expressed in individuals and groups of, of people i don't know what you guys think of that i do want to throw in for all of our listeners slash readers if you've been following along for future non-fiction things i say we should keep it to under 400 pages carlisle is great but it's a uh, it's a long Good to go qualifier. like seven weeks seven weeks on uh non-fiction i kind of look back on it fondly now Oh, yeah, I do with like every historical book I read, but for this format, I think slow. that if yeah. we ever make this not just a hobby and it's something that we do for real money, then it wouldn't be a problem. Yeah, I agree. Also, we'd be able to do larger segments of the book per episode, which yes. I think is our bigger problem format wise. Yeah, because we did six episodes on Carlisle. Because, I mean, not only is the slogan, you know, we read books you don't have to, but is our expectation really that people listen to this podcast are going to read the fucking book at the pace we're reading it? No. But also, yeah, also, like, who who is listening to a podcast about Thomas Carlyle? Not to mock ourselves, but, like... Uh, really, really cool people, right. I think. Chads, alphas, guys with girlfriends. Yes. <laughs> With multiple girlfriends. Come and listen to our sweet, sweet commentary. That's what keeps drawing people it's just fr It's a friendship simulator, you know? They're just like, I'm hanging out with the boys and Chloe. <laughs> That's a good... We can get a new dynamic on the pod that way. Just like, put it on the background. It's like old people on the TV. Like, just put it on. Yeah. I deeply want us to do a live radio version of this and take callers. Oh, hell yeah, man. A call-in show would be so much fun. It or even really cool guys. Regular people. I would buy a phone card and send it to Rhodesia just so <laughs> that that single person could call in and ask us about apartheid Please. or whatever else, or whatever else he's interested. In. I just want people. I mean, it's just every guy's gonna be like, "Where's Epstein's bones, man?" 
I just really, I deeply want someone to call in. in. Not that we'll read Carlisle again for this podcast, but I want someone to call in about one of our obscure book choices and have a strong opinion about oh, it. That would be just like the best. Dude, dude even just like getting an email yeah. or, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, like any of that shit, it would, it would warm the heart. Genuine rage at, <laughs> yeah, just pedantic little things. Fucking great. furious yes. about one thing we said about Carlisle. Be like, actually, he's five nine. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say we don't need to fact check ourselves. The listeners will. If you want to send us anything, um, our email is literalfictionbookclub at gmail dot com. That's literal. L-I-T-E-R-A-L. Because you fucking idiots can't spell <laughs> yeah. literal. Well, you can spell. It's or if literal. English isn't your first language. Ooh, we're going into national. Shit. That's that's. You yeah. got some ESL discrimination up in here. Uh, is that being considerate or discriminatory? So send us send us your uh, your hate mail, um, your pedantic rages, your nudes. If they're good, uh, no, just even if they're bad, they don't. Even <laughs> if they're bad, even if they're bad, we'll put them in the description. <laughs> we'll make them the thumbnail for every episode. Yeah. Uh, we would we definitely love that. So um, let's wrap up the book at the very least, and we can keep talking if we want. Um, the book, it's a pamphlet. So do we have any final thoughts? I, I think that, I mean, Siez was pretty straightforward as to what his political argument was and the idea that at least I think that he was, I mean, he was spot on. He predicted what was going to happen in the early phases of the French Revolution. And his political strategy is actually... Uh, it's pretty sophisticated or it's not sophisticated, but it's very uh, effective in the sense that like either the third estate uh, participates in the, the estates general and protests its, uh, its status in there, or it organizes itself as a separate body, which is what it eventually does and becomes the, uh, the national assembly. So I thought at the very least uh, the ABCS's political instincts in the beginning were fucking great. He basically like wrote the playbook. He wrote the whole thing. Like this is what's gonna happen. It's crazy. I wonder if how much of this was already in the works versus how much he kind of planted the seed for all of these ideas. He planted the seed. This was the most popular political pamphlet for the French Revolutionary period because it really blew me away. Just I guess that's my biggest takeaway is this is way more radical than I remember it being, but radical in a good way. Like I agree with everything he has to say. Like all throughout this section of the french revolution just the tyranny of the ancien regime comes through again and again and like i want to behead them now fuck yeah i mean i wanted to behead them during carlisle for sure for sure although you know it was sad when the king died but you know he had to die what to do with the king the king must die also that sweet sweet danton line ah so good the well which one there were so many that's true yeah everything he says is gold but um what was it exactly it was like europe the tyrants of europe threaten us with war and what do we do we throw them the head of a tyrant or something or the yeah, head, yeah, of a king, head of a king, something yeah. like that it's like oh god so good man i wish i was danton i mean i don't because i'd be dead but that'd be so pretty cool. fugly oh whatever i'd be huge <laughs> i bet he was very strong dude he was definitely strong he could deadlift 800 pounds peasant, oh he was thick as fuck. he was all like fucked up in the face but he was a huge guy it Oh, his dick? Maybe. It's hard to tell. That's not a good proportional thing. Your dick doesn't grow with you being taller, so. It doesn't? No. Or, Sorry I mean, to burst some you're bubbles. the tallest one here, Alex, so, uh, you know, I don't know. So, so guys, we are putting to end 10, over 10 weeks of the French Revolution. How long have we been working this? At least uh, three months. Yeah, this, uh, including the movie episode, we're talking about, I think it's, what is it, seven episodes of Carlisle? Makes me makes me no, sad we have to the, see it we go. We had the art of thinking freely, which is technic. I mean, kind Actually, of. Yeah, it's kind pre-revolution French Revolution, not quite. So but. I mean, we've since the beginning of July, we've been working on this. That's actually that's pretty good. We've this is our first. It. This is our first segment. We have we have finished our first unit of material, and I I actually am very happy about that because we have been calling on the Carlisle uh, and. Um, sorry, I'm drunk. So, what did we read last week? We read Halloween stories. Yeah, last the before week. that though. The Tales of is your favorite book. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> sorry, my easy bad. to forget. As you can tell, I'm very drunk. We haven't called back on uh, 
of Tale of Two Cities, but that I think had more to do with the fact that we read two nonfiction sources, and so obviously Carlisle relates more to the uh, what is the third estate than the Tale of Two Cities. But I gotta say, I, I was drawing on um, the art of thinking freely reading this. And Fuck the, yeah, dude! It, yeah, it, me like, too. It came to my mind just just because it was like it had so many personal details that were so. Um, it's cool. That was a very well-rounded unit. I kind of liked it. It's I enjoyed liked it. it. Did you guys feel like you learned a lot doing it? Oh, a shitload. I probably learned the most out of all you guys. Because I am stupid, and I don't know much about the French Revolution. No, I've never I'm gonna, read I'm going to learn a lot from Southern Gothic. I have not read much I'm of it. I'm so stoked about that. I'm really excited, too. I'm ready to... I want to be reading some novels. I was going to say, you're going to shine in the next next segment. Maybe. Or so, what time period does Southern Gothic cover? To... to I think to to modern day, they're contemporary Southern Gothic authors. Well, isn't that like hmm. post Southern Gothic at this point? I have no idea. I, I don't know. I'm just saying because like the there's obviously going to be some sort of time span as to what this you know literary movement covers. I so think, is it like early 20th century, pretty much? Yeah, but I think late late 19th to early 20th is definitely like it's early to like into the. I think I would say early sixties or the sixties. Okay, is it? I mean, it, it keeps going on. I mean, one of the books that sure. I think we're going to read, Sutri, was written in between the seventies and nineteen eighties. Okay, there are ones that are, you know, contemporary ones that have been written. Okay, um, I don't know, but yeah, it goes way back. I mean, we're going to start, or we're not. We're, we're going to read Zora Neale Hurston. When did that come out? Harlem Renaissance era. Yeah, but that was the twenties. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But then we're going to read Flannery, and that's like fifties and sixties. It'll be really, really good. I. My only question is, I kind of want to read some synopsis of Southern Gothic. I can't find like a coherent one. I, I don't think it's like a well-defined genre. I mean, clearly not, right? If it spans such a long period of time and it's not a... Uh, I mean, what would you say defines Southern Gothic? Like, what makes a Southern Gothic novel itself? I don't really know. I mean, it's the same. You're the one who's always Southern Gothic this, Southern Gothic that. Well, and tell well, me what you like me? about it. Yeah. No, I mean, like, what's the setting in the South, and it has what comic and grotesque characters, right? Well, isn't it of... always? Isn't it always kind of tragedy too? Yeah. Like, most of the stories are tragedies. Like a lot. Like there are a lot of like comic novels. Is it all just an allegory to the Civil War? Uh, I don't think so. Yeah. Whatever. I think it's mostly post Civil War. Right. Kind of... Well, that's what I'm saying. You know, an allegory for the. I mean, the Civil War. I think everything's a lost cause. Heavily over everything. Over oh yeah, I bet the American South. I think you can't really oh, discuss yeah. it. Maybe now it's not as much of an issue, but 1964 and prior, it's. I mean, until World War One, the Civil War was the war. Like that's people a, talk yeah, about the point. war. It's killed four percent of our population. Yeah, I mean, FDR still. There were still veterans parades for people from the civil war yeah it was actually kind of cute they had the uh i mean obviously this is like it's kind of grotesque but the uh old confederate veterans and union veterans did a weird reenactment of uh pickett's charge and this was filmed and they um no no no, they were the ones that could still walk uh they were very very old but they the Confederates ran up the hill and the Union guys ran down and they ended up hugging at the end, which was like cute. But le- yeah. I don't know, man. I don't know. Something about it's just like I didn't really even know how to feel about about that. Yeah, the, they definitely were. But anyways. But yeah, the Civil War unit. was the war. And yes, our next unit is Southern Gothic. We're going for it. Uh, what our our next book is going to be. Uh, which one did we uh, decide? So we're going to read the violent. Bear It Away by Flannery O'Connor next. Okay. I think after that, we're following it up with The, the Rise of Watching God by Zora yes. Hurston. I don't know what else we're going to do. Um, we've got a list. I've, if you, but because we're not doing a big, long nonfiction one, we're going to probably do, what, four or five novels? I mean, I, I think five would be great. I think, you know, four shorter novels, one long one. If we do such read, that's a, okay. probably 500, 600 pages, but it's a quick read. Okay. Cool. Um, yeah, I don't know. We got to figure that out. Have you guys like Troy has not? Sam, have you looked at the list? Yes, I have. I mean, I'm not remembering the titles right now. I, I let me just pull them up right now. <laughs> Sorry. So also, while people are looking up the list, I have one final question: Who is your favorite character from the French Revolutionary Era? Because it is like it's Greek tragedy levels of drama. Gotta think. Danton's on top of my list, but I don't know. 
there's a couple other characters that are just so good. I mean, my favorite character is, uh, I'm just, I love the Abbe Siez. I love his trajectory. I love the fact that he is votes for the king's death and then is eventually excommunicated from the Jacobins and then brings Napoleon to power. That's a That's pretty interesting uh, character arc. The one thing I have found is you cannot find a biography of him in English. So it's hmm. I wanted to introduce that for the podcast, but I cannot find it. So I'm going to have to learn French and Write translate. It, dude. No, there's definitely a biography in French. Translate it. But I will translate it, yeah. I, I'm going to go... I've actually been reading a biography about uh, Samuel Johnson recently. My name is Samuel Johnson. It's the uh, guy who put together the first English dictionary, and uh, he, he was a big translator, so I want to live up to that. That's cool. That's a, that's a goal to aspire to. My favorites are either Lafayette or Rob- Robespierre. What do you like about Robespierre? Lafayette's cool. The sea green man. Um, yeah, fuck yeah, I don't dude. like like him, I guess, but like he's, he's, he's just like such a fascinating character, and honestly, his death is so grotesque that <laughs> I don't know. I'll I I'll never forget it. I'll forget a minor detail about this this revolution every single day, but I will never forget his jaw hanging off, the growl that he lets yeah. out. Like I can't imagine how guttural it is. That yeah, probably him, but Lafayette and his is dope the right. hero of two worlds like the best oh, nickname yeah. of all time yeah well, what did they call him the scipio, uh, the scipio americanus oh, yeah. yeah fuck yeah we're definitely gonna read a biography of lafayette at some point mike when, duncan's writing one yeah right? when mike duncan's no come shit. out i will definitely read Have it. we talked about this i, I mean his that. history of his uh yeah, well, the roman history read of him was not that great but it was fun to read. It was like reading his podcast. It was an overview. Yeah, yeah. It was definitely an overview but the whole like, time versus one guy. I'm going to be honest, guys. I just found that book. I didn't finish it. I have 15 pages to go. Somehow I just like must have. What? Know. Yeah. I don't know. I must have just put it down and did not finished it. Did you put it into your Goodreads? Because you're a liar if you did. Ooh, I, I don't know if I did. That's Gotta bad. Gotta go fact check that. Yeah, we're fact Readers, checking you, Readers, get bitch. on there. I put the what is the third estate in my Goodreads? That's a that is a good easy win right there. It's an easy. It is, a, it is not a lie. Um, oh yeah, the other character that I wish we knew more about was Napoleon. Uh, that is, I mean, he obviously shaped the he shaped the direction of the French Republic and the French Empire, and we only get little pieces of him from Carlyle. And I mean, I don't know enough about Napoleon, and I'd like to know more. We can learn. Can we have a Napoleon we could, a unit? We could. Or we could, ju- we could just do biographies of cool French guys. We could do the Napoleonic Wars. in general. Oh. Because then we could do War and Peace. I'm not rereading that. Sorry. I will. You won't reread that with us? Oh, come on, man. That'd be so it's fun. A thousand pages. So we're It'll men. be fucking awesome. We can read. Yeah. Oh, I wanted to add that I, I want to read In Cold Blood by uh, Capote. I put it on the I list. I second that. Yeah, yeah that's a great book. I haven't read it before. Oh, uh, dude, it's just, I it's just like about. Should it be a unit about gay Americans or by authors who are gay? We can we can read Oscar Wilde, but uh, I kind of like that idea. I don't like really like the tokenizing thing. I hate it. I'm not going. To, we're not doing an African American literature segment, and we're not Aww. doing women's literature. Aww. What about black women? No, I'm saying if we're going to read, if we're going to read a a you know a woman or a minority author it's going to be part of a larger segment they're going to be part of a br- what was your broader point i do think an Afri- i kind of think an african american literature unit is merited it's a historical movement it's- no i would say things that are heavily african american like you would say the harlem renaissance i'm totally willing to go down that rabbit hole but to okay. say that african american literature is a thing like African Americans had a variety of different experiences at a variety of different times, and they come out of literature movements that are can be multiracial. So, it's, well, all the books we've read is that white literature. Like, no, it's Russian and American and French. Exactly. And, yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So it's just I find it, you know, actually find it racist and patronizing to categorize people by their race and not by what. Uh, what political po- or not political, but what, what artistic artistic movement. project they're trying to contribute to? Yeah, yeah, oh, for sure. Or critique for that matter, right? So I don't know enough about Nora Zil- uh, Nora Zeal Horse. 
<laughs> I got him. Dude, I I'm like five shots deep, so it's fine. Jesus Christ. Um This episode has really gone off the fucking rails. Yeah. Can we just shut the Zora we... Neil Hurston. Yeah, yeah. I don't know enough about Zora Neil Hurston, but for all I know, she could be commenting on Southern Gothic rather than simply uh contributing to the She precedes it. She precedes it? Okay. Yeah. That's an old this is an old book. Well, Zora Neil Hurston is she's early twentieth century, so you said it started in the nineteenth century. Yeah, like Poe is considered early Southern Gothic. Yeah, so but I it mean, was not classified it. as Southern Gothic until like the seventies. Right. Okay. You know what I mean? This is a this literary is movement a... that has been defined post. Right. This is not a con- movie where you're like, I'm a Southern Gothic writer. Yeah. Some of them are like, I am not. You I know think what I mean? for next episode we should do a little bit of research on what the genre is because I'm sure a lot of listeners also aren't super well read about Southern Gothic. I mean, if you are great, that's just super niche, but. We can give a little bit of an explanation. In the end of the day, we're just picking uh, books set in the south of the United States of America and have a problem that suck our dicks, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but no, for real. Like, but last last comment before we sign off, I do want to eventually, not maybe for a while, but eventually have a unit that is just the Civil War. I would love that. Shelby yeah. Foote. Oh, hell yes. That's war. I will reread that trilogy. That is one I'm really willing to What is to that? Reread. Like It's like 3,000 pages, right? Right yeah, behind you, man. It's I can full, full 3,000 pages. Yeah, yeah Alex yeah. got it uh, for me, technically for us, for our wedding, but it was for me, really. You guys said you listened to the audiobook together every night. It was well, a we both, both know that I'm the only one who will ever read that. bastard. Yeah, throwing always, your wife under the bus. She's not going to read. She won't read the podcast. She's definitely not going to read you the can read Civil it out War loud trilogy. The Civil what War like? by Shelby Foote is good. Yeah, you. I love you reading read art. paintings. Yeah, that is cool. So, so next week we're going to be reading the Violent Barrett Away, Flannery O'Connor's nineteen sixty novel. We are going to be reading to the end of chapter six. Yep, and uh, our next unit in its totality is going to be Southern Gothic. If that wasn't clear after the edits, so yeah, it's going to be like a spread of five novels, probably split up over the next couple months. And then hopefully after that, what do we like Meiji Restoration or Napoleonic Wars or something like that? Yeah, my vote's Meiji Restoration, but I'll, we can do whatever. Sci-fi. Okay. I, we'll get to that. We'll see what our mood is after this, you know. Thank you, everybody, for listening to the Literal Fiction Book Club. Uh, we appreciate your patronage and uh, consistent um, affirmation of Chloe's beauty. That's great. That's, that's really good, guys. Have a good night. See ya. Good night, everyone.